0: We've been in a series as a church over the past few months now in Mark's Gospel. It's uh, one of the books of the Bible that really focuses in on the life of Jesus. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 5 this morning, and I'm going to read Mark 5, verses 21 to 43, bigger chunk of verses, and then I'm going to introduce our topic, uh, which uh, is is one that's going to be a little bit different for us this morning, and and, uh, would just welcome uh, even prayer for me while I'm preaching, just for sensitivity and wisdom on this. I want to serve us well as we uh, draw some things out of this text this morning. But first, the verses themselves. So this is Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to read to the end of uh, the chapter, which is verse 43. It says this, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged around him. The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother who were with him and went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he charged them them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This morning, our sermon topic is Jesus and women, Jesus and women. And it's no secret to anybody in this room that uh, religions and even Christianity can often be criticized as being anti-women, against women, not for the advancement of women, not for uh, rights and privileges for women. It can be seen as something of a, a bit of an oppressive force. You don't need to search too far in, in, in media around us, certainly in our culture, to, to find this notion. Uh, Ina Shevenko, who is a leader of a uh, fairly big feminist movement in Europe, she sums it up like this She says, One of the biggest remaining oppressors of women all over the world is religion and religious institutions. Now, her comments. I think, sum up an attitude and a feeling that many people would have, including many people here in our own city of Ottawa, that would say that uh, religious institutions, including Christian institutions, including the church, perhaps even including this church, are oppressive to women. She sums it up you know, as, as as I said in that quote. But that idea would not be foreign to us here in our culture, and it would be one that would be uh, projected not just uh, onto Christianity, but also to people of other faiths, whether it be uh, Islam or Judaism or Buddhism or whatever it might be. Often, all religious uh, groups, all faiths can kind of get swept up in this and can be painted with the same brush. But what I want us to... To start with this morning is a recognition, if we're honest, that the oppression of women, and that's our topic this morning is Jesus and women, so I'm going to say the oppression of women is not just a religious problem, but rather it's a human problem. It's too simple to say, well, anytime that women are oppressed, it must be because there's a religious institution somewhere in the background that is, that is doing that work. Because you and I both know that every single one of us, men and women in this room, we have all in some way done something to hold women back. Even women who are in this room, you in your lives at some stage have done something, whether it's in your workplace or university or something, where you've put yourself ahead of others, where you've made a comment that has put somebody else down, another woman down, so that you can advance beyond them. And you might think, well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. That's, That's... That's not really what we're talking about here. And I would say, no, actually, that is what we're talking about here. Because if you take the sum of that, that is where we're left in the position that we are today where people are saying, well, women are often oppressed. And I would say, well, we are all the cause of that. It's humans. This is a human problem, whether the group that we're talking about is women or people of minorities or whatever it might be, people with with, uh, different sexual identities, whatever the grouping might be, we are all part of the problem, every single one of us. This is a human problem. This is not simply a religious problem problem or something that can be put onto other kind of specific groups within society. This is a human problem, one that we have all contributed to ourselves, and that is exactly why Jesus came to earth. Jesus came to earth to fix the human problem because this is a problem that runs deep. It it gets down into our hearts, into the very core of our being where when we see opportunities for ourselves where we can advance, where we can move ahead, but even if it's at the cost of somebody around us, a neighbor around us, often we can push them out of the way. And I say that as a Christian man. I say that as a Christian leader. I'm susceptible to this. I can do this myself. I can some, You know what? I can sometimes do this in my marriage. My marriage is not a perfect marriage. Me being a husband, I'm not a perfect husband. Far from it. There can be times when I make selfish decisions, and in the process... My family around me, I see them as, as people that are there to, to serve me and to try to help elevate me. And I, I use them that way. And I think my wife would say that there are times when she is guilty of doing that herself. See, we all do this. We all have areas of our lives. We all have times in our lives where we put our needs and our wants ahead of others at their cost and pushing them away. There's a problem deep inside of us in our hearts, in the very core of our being. And that is exactly why Jesus came, is to address it at that point. Not to talk about fringe issues, which can still be very important, but he goes much deeper than that. He doesn't let us just kind of get away with, oh, well, there are other groups in our culture, there are other groups in society that are more responsible for this than I am. Jesus comes and he says, no, every single one of you is responsible for this. And I've come to address that. I've come to bring truth into that. I've come to bring life into that, into you. Every single one in this room. So let's make Jesus our focus this morning as we're looking at this topic of Jesus and women. What was Jesus like when he was around women? Did he treat them as people with less value? Did he treat them as people who were subhuman or, or maybe sub-male? What was Jesus like when he was around women? Or, or, or as an alternative, did he honor them? Did he respect them? Did he serve them? Did he love them selflessly? The verses that we're looking at this morning in Mark chapter 5, they, they focus in on two women in particular. So let's understand the setting here. You can go onto the website and listen to earlier talks in this series to know what's happened earlier in Mark's gospel before we get to where we are today. But these verses that we're looking at this morning start off by saying that Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side. Is talking about the Sea of Galilee, a, a, a big body of water in the Middle East. Jesus, something had happened on the other side of the lake that we heard about uh, a couple weeks ago. Now Jesus is crossing back over to the other side. And as soon as he gets there, this huge crowd of people gather around him. Because Jesus' fame had spread around the area. You can read about that in the earlier chapters of Mark. Jesus going around and healing people and having confrontations with different people. People are talking about this Jesus. They're talking about who he is. They're talking about different things that he had been doing. But in that setting, there's a religious leader, one of the rulers of the synagogue. His name is Jairus. And he runs up to Jesus and he falls at his feet and says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. My daughter is dying. Will you come? Will you help? Jesus says, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. And off they go. And while they're going, another thing happens involving a different woman. There's a woman who's in this great crowd that is around Jesus. And, and the crowd is described in Mark as a throng. Throng is not a word we use very often today because it can be f- confused for another world It's a word that sounds like throng, and uh, we probably would just tend to avoid that at all cost, I think. But a throng of people is something of a crowd where you just cannot move anywhere. Have you ever been in a crowd like that? Have you ever been in a, in a group like that? I don't know how many of you have ever been to a Justin Bieber concert. I've been to none myself. Uh, But if you're at a Justin Bieber concert, there's going to be a throng of people. If you're a hockey fan right now and you're going to the Sens game this afternoon, there's going to be a throng of Sens fans. I lived in the UK for nine years. They have a word over there, queue. Every time you go on public transportation, you find yourself in a queue. And they can be really, really packed where you just can't move anywhere. And that's the crowd that's around Jesus, this, this throng of people that is around him. And he's absolutely surrounded by these people, and you can't really move anywhere. But in this crowd, in this throng of people, there's one woman, and there's a woman who knows, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just go and just touch his garments, I will be healed. What's going on with her? Well, she had had bleeding for 12 years. She had had bleeding for 12 years. This is, as I said, this is a different type of sermon this morning. This is a a bit of a One where we're going to get into some biology that you're probably not used to hearing when you uh, come to church. Uh, You're not at your grandmother's church this morning, all right? So we're going to talk about this in a real way. So this woman had basically had a heavy, painful period for 12 years, all right? Many in the room, you already know that. You read that, and you, you know what's going on. Now, we hear that. We think of that. In our culture, and we see it through, you know, like Tampax commercials and that sort of thing where you've got a woman wearing yoga pants and running around in a field with a big fluffy dog and, like, everything is just great in her world. Everything is absolutely fine. But some 2,000 years ago, it wasn't quite like that. Her life would have been completely determined by this, by what she had been suffering for 12 years. Where she could go, when she could go there, who she could be around all of it. For 12 years, she had suffered at the hand of many physicians. She had gone. She had tried to find help, but nothing was working. Nothing was helping. And she knows, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just get to him, because I've heard about him, then I will be healed. So she goes along, and she reaches out, and she touches, his, touches Jesus' garments, And Jesus right away knows that power has left him. We read in in Mark that immediately the flow of blood dried up. Not only was she healed, but the evidence of what she had had for 12 years went. We need to understand that. Not only was she healed, but the evidence of what she had had for 12 years went completely. And Jesus knows that somebody's touched him. He knows that power has gone out of him. And he says, who touched me? And his disciples, imagine imagine the scene. You've got this massive, tightly packed crowd of people. And they're going, what do you mean who touched you? Look at the crowd around you. What do you mean? Everybody's rubbing up against you. It's not just going to be one person. And he says, no, who wasn't? He's looking around. He's, He's trying to find this woman who has been healed because he's felt this power leave him. And this woman then comes back up, and she's terrified. She's terrified to go back up and say, it was me. Why? What's going on here? So we can read this really quickly and think, okay, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, huge discomfort, huge just pain, just all of it, and Jesus heals her. That's great. That's that's excellent. And it is good. It is excellent. But we need to understand something of the Jewish culture of the day. And to do that, we're going to go back to a book of the Bible called Leviticus. We're going to go back to Leviticus chapter 15. Now, I'm not going to read verses from Leviticus chapter 15, uh, but if you have a Bible that has headings on it, uh, you will see at the top of the headings uh, for Leviticus chapter 15 that it says, uh, laws concerning bodily emissions, laws concerning bodily emissions. And Leviticus chapter 15 is summed up like this, it's broken up into five different sections. So, verse 2 to verse 15, laws pertaining to a serious case of male discharge. Verse 16 and 17, laws pertaining to a male's uh, uh, emission of semen. Verse 18, laws pertaining to sexual intercourse. Verses 19 to 24, laws pertaining to female menstruation. And verse 25 to 30, laws pertaining to a serious case of female discharge. Riveting. Riveting inspiring. Should we invite the band up now and sing worship and praise? Some of you are going, I just came to hear about Jesus this morning, and Rich, you've had to do this, and you've ruined my Sunday. I'm, I'm sorry, all right? But it's important that we look at this. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this woman walking up to Jesus afraid? The reason is this. According to the Levitical law, she was unclean. She wasn't even supposed to be in the crowd, She wasn't even supposed to be there, let alone having other people brush up against her. Because according to the Levitical law, if other people did that, they would be unclean as well. Her being there, she was committing an illegal act. She was not supposed to be there in the first place. So when she's healed and then Jesus, this Jesus is looking around, who did that? She gets really afraid because she knows I'm going to get caught for this. This is bad. There are going to be bad consequences on me. And this would leave us with some questions. Why in the world would a woman who had had this bleeding for 12 years, why would she be unclean? Some of us might be thinking, this is proof. This is conclusive proof that God is cruel, that the Bible is just false, that it's out of touch, that we should take the sections about Jesus loving everybody. We love that stuff. But all this older stuff, no, we just need to dismiss this because it's, it's absolutely horrible and, and you're uncomfortable sitting there. Right now. What is going on in this? Well, here's the backstory. story. God made men and women to be in relationship with him. God did not want any division in that relationship at all. He wanted to enjoy them. He wanted them to enjoy him. That was God's design when he made men and women. But Adam and Eve in the garden, they decided that they knew better. You can read about that in the earliest pages of Genesis. They decided that they knew better. And they decided to declare themselves essentially as God. And sin came into the world, and it put this separation in. But God in his grace was still committed to having relationship with people. So he had a plan for how people could still be close to him, him being a perfect and holy God, and them being sinful, imperfect people. God put this plan into action. And in the early days of that plan, what that involved is having ways that people would be cleansed so that they could still be around the presence of God and worship him. So in Leviticus chapter 15, what these laws are about are so that people are able to go to the tabernacle, kind of this moving house, this moving tent where God's glory dwelt, and could worship and could praise him. But Jesus, or God being perfectly holy, you couldn't just rock up to the tabernacle like you can rock up to common this morning. Wearing what you want, coming in, having some coffee, just, you know, whatever's happened over the weekend. You can just come in here. We're going to hold the door wide open for you. But with the tabernacle, all those years ago, it wasn't like that. You couldn't just rock up that way. There were laws that said, if you've done this, if this has happened to you, whatever the case might be, this is what you have to do to, in order to be made clean so that you could come and that you could worship in uh, and around the presence of God. And that's where we get these laws in Leviticus chapter 15 including before we get quick to pick on women in this or to pick on the Bible for what it says about women, there are more verses in Leviticus chapter 15 that pertain to men. Men are not let off the hook here. There are laws that pertain to them as well, things that they do that make them unclean. Get this, there are even laws that pertain to men and women in the context of marriage and sexual union. How does that work? If a husband and wife have sex together, they are declared unclean until the sunset. Why is that? Didn't God make sex? Isn't sex good between a man and a woman in the context of marriage? Isn't that God's design? We believe all that as a church. Absolutely. Why in the world would they be unclean? Big questions in this. Things that can really confuse us in this. And the reason why is this, is that God knows that sin has come in and has corrupted everything that he had put into design in the world, including sex, including our sexual identity, including... Women, including the way that your body works, God's design for you, his original intention for you was never that you would feel discomfort or pain. Never. Whether it be in menstruation, childbirth, child raising, whatever the case might be, that you would never have pain, that you would never be upset, that you would never have discomfort physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever the case might be. That was never God's original plan for us. So in order in the Old Testament for, us to, for, for people to go and to worship God, they ha- it was only temporary, but they had to be purified. They had to be made clean, but it was never a lasting work. It was always temporary. And even within the sexual union of a man and woman in the context of marriage, still it's not perfect. It's not perfect. Still there can be things that happen within the context of marriage that just sit outside of God's original plan. And God's heart is that there would be no separation. God's heart would be that there would be no pain, no agony, nothing like that. No division between a husband and wife or between friends or, or whatever it might be. That's why these laws are in place. See, sin has corrupted sex. It's not only corrupted sex, but sexuality and our sexual bodies themselves. And just in case some of you are thinking, okay, here goes Rich. He's going to start talking about people in the city that I identify as being homosexual and that sort of thing. No. Heterosexuals in the room, your heterosexuality has also been corrupted by sin. You are not off the hook on this. Neither am I. All sexuality has been corrupted by sin. All of us are guilty in this. All of us in some ways at some point in our lives. Guys, we know this, don't we? We're we're a fairly young church, you know, in terms of our demographic. We, this is a live issue for us. This is a really live issue for us. We know that these things. We know that sexual relations and sexual contact. That it can be tough. Maybe in a moment it can be exciting, but then the oh did the other person think that I was I was good? Am I going to get a? Do I call them now? Do I need to wait a few days? Just the awkwardness of it, the tension of it, and then if it doesn't work out, I just feel so used. Just feel so let down. I feel so cheap. Friends, God's heart was never that you would feel that way, ever, ever. So sin has corrupted this. That's what Leviticus chapter 15 is about. It's about God's way of allowing not only people who sin, but also people who are born into a world that is reeling from the effects of sin to still be able to gather and to be around him and to draw near to him. This woman in Mark chapter 5, she knows that she's not supposed to do that she knows that she wasn't supposed to be in that crowd. And under the law, what should have happened was that by touching Jesus, Jesus should have been made unclean himself. But that isn't what happened. Instead, this unclean woman, in touching Jesus, becomes clean herself. Jesus's strength, Jesus's power cannot be bound by any purity laws. He is so powerful, he is so compassionate, he's so full of grace and mercy that when she touches him that extends to her and she is made clean. And all of the evidence of what had happened to her completely goes. The woman finally comes up to Jesus. It was it was me and everybody's going, what's he going to say to her? What adjective is he going to use? Wicked, disobedient, rebellious, unlawful, criminal. What's he going to say? How is he going to describe this woman? And what's the first word out of Jesus' mouth as he speaks to her? This should move us deeply. The first word out of Jesus' mouth is this, daughter, daughter. Daughter. Women, I don't know you all that well. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what the weekend has looked like for you, what the last year has looked like for you, past five or ten years, whatever the case might be, what you've walked in regards to what we're talking about today, whether you physically in your body right now, there's something that is really, really hard, whether my comments about sexual activity, whether that hits really close to home because you've known pain in that, you've known disappointment, rejection in that, whatever the case might be, this morning there is a God who says to you through Jesus Christ, daughter, daughter. That's his heart towards you, is as a loving father to a daughter. Jesus continues along. Don't forget, Jairus is watching this, this man who has a woman who's 12 years old, or a daughter who's 12 years old. Jarius is watching all this happen, but then somebody runs up and says, your daughter is dead. I have a three-year-old daughter myself. I cannot imagine the pain that Jerry's would have felt in his heart upon hearing that. He would have just seen Jesus heal this other woman. Imagine the conflict inside of him, no doubt being happy that, man, this Jesus, look at him. Look at who he's able to heal, but also feel... Jesus, if you had just kept walking, if you hadn't stopped to try to find this woman, maybe my daughter wouldn't be dead now. And Jesus, knowing the man's mind, he says... Don't fear, only believe. Don't fear, only believe. They continue along and they go to the house. Jesus is so sensitive about this. He goes in with his closest disciples at that stage and he sees this little girl, 12 years old, lying dead, her body lifeless. And he says these words to her in Aramaic, Talitha kumi, Talitha kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise and immediately she rises up. She is raised to life. She's 12 years old. The woman that Jesus had healed on the journey to this house had been suffering for 12 years. Imagine looking back over those 12 years while, while Jairus and his wife are celebrating the birth of this 12-year-old, somewhere else in the region, there's a woman who has this bleeding that starts that would not stop for 12 years. And both these stories come together on this day in Jesus. And Jesus brings life and restoration and hope into both situations in an amazing and in a powerful way. You might be hearing these things about this, these laws in Leviticus chapter 15. And I hope maybe you're writing down a, a question or two. If there's a way that we can serve you in this, of course, I would. Uh, we, we would like to be able to do that after the service. But you might be thinking... These laws in Leviticus 15 and other things that I know about the laws, like we're only talking about laws concerning the body and some things that happen with the body and all of these other laws, you might be thinking, nobody has a hope. If this is true, nobody has a hope. I mean, even Jairus, it's even interesting that Jairus comes and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus because he's a religious leader. And we read in the earlier chapter of Mark that the religious leaders were not quick to throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. They were quick to plot about how they might destroy him. We read about that in earlier chapters of Mark. But not Jarius. Jarius comes and he humbles himself. But even Jairus would know as a religious leader, I'm not perfect. Because if he thought that he was perfect and then that would warrant Jesus doing this for him, he wouldn't have come and he wouldn't have humbled himself. He wouldn't have thrown himself at the feet of Jesus. He would have said, Jesus, can I just pull you aside? Let me tell you about, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you about my teaching. Let me tell you how great of a religious person I am. I have earned what I'm about to ask of you. My daughter's unwell. Will you come and heal her? And I've earned it. But he doesn't do that. He comes in a way that's very similar to this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He humbles himself. If I can just get to Jesus... He humbles himself and he throws himself at her feet. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're thinking there's healing that you want in your life, there's healing in the life of someone around you, no amount of of, of righteous, moral, good Canadian-isms living is going to do it. It simply will not do it. You and I are utterly in need of the grace of God. We need it. We desperately need the grace of God. We cannot earn this in ourselves. We cannot earn this on our own. But through Jesus Christ, God has made a way for us to come before God as a son or a daughter. See, friends, Jesus gets this because he existed eternally with the Father. For all time, he's always known what it is to be a son. And I love the way that he speaks to that woman. He says, daughter, daughter, daughter. And daughters in this room, that's what Jesus says to you this morning. Sons in this room, that's what Jesus says to you this morning, and it's because of grace. It's not because of anything that you've done righteous in yourself. It's because of grace. Humble yourself this morning. If you're here this morning and you know you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we'll celebrate it in a few moments. We're going to take communion together. We're going to remember Jesus going to the cross in our place Paying the penalty that we should have paid, that we deserved. Jesus paid it in our place so that we could be called sons or daughters of God. And if you're here this morning and you've not heard this before, you're thinking, I've just never thought, I, I didn't think I could relate to God in that way. This morning you can, by faith. You can even just, just pray silently in your in your head, in your heart right now, God, I I choose this morning to believe this truth. That in Jesus, you've made a way for me to be accepted as a son or a daughter of yours. And I want to enter into that now through what Jesus has done, not through anything I've done in myself. And if you want to make that decision for the first time this morning, if you've made it, you can join us for communion in a few minutes. If you've not made that decision, I just invite you to stay in your seats in a few moments. Uh, Just consider what you've heard here this morning. And... uh, if you have any questions about anything that we've covered this morning, of which there might be some, uh, do come and find me afterwards or use a piece of paper that we've handed around um, as well. If I can invite the band to come back up. We're going to praise this Jesus together. And uh, would you stand with me? Just remind you again, at, at the end of the service, we'll move uh, one of these buckets around and uh, and we will... Um, gather those questions up and Natalia and I will uh, do our best to serve you uh, with those after. But let's just just pray together. Gracious Father, gracious Father, thank you that in Jesus Christ you've made a way for us to be accepted as sons and daughters of yours. Thank you, God. God, thank you that the Bible is, is a book that talks about the realities of life. God, we recognize that there are difficult things to to talk through and to teach through. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be helping these things land, that you would be using these words. Holy Spirit, that you'd be ministering to hearts all around this room, testifying to us that have received Jesus by faith, that we are sons and daughters of yours. I pray for any in this room that do not know you as a father, God who might think of you today as just someone, a God who's distant or a God who's a harsh judge. Holy Spirit, help them. Help us, I pray. Help us to know you as a loving father this morning, and that this morning you say to us, daughter, son, come, be near to me, be with me. I'm for you. I love you. Jesus, thank you that you've shown that ultimately by going to the cross in our place, by being obedient to your Father, by taking on the penalty that we deserve so that we could have life, so that we could have it to the full. Jesus, we love you. There is no one like you. Thank you for how you healed these women. Thank you for how you healed others when you walked this earth. Thank you for how you heal us. Jesus, We worship you. We praise you. Amen.